Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, I want to focus the conversation around improving your website. So I brought in an expert, none other than Eric Gentetics, all the way from Galway, Ireland, the co-founder and COO of Grafton Digital. Eric, you're very welcome to the show. Hey, Irene, how's it going? It's a pleasure to be on the show. Yeah, delighted to have you. As guests will understand, the conversation will focus around improving your website, but I'd love to get to know you a little more first so I guess can understand the person that they're listening to or watching, depending on how they're consuming this. I don't know whether you were born in Budapest or your family are from Budapest, but where did you grow up in Budapest or Galway or a mixture of both? It, it was actually uh, pretty much a mixture of both. So uh, we, mo- we we moved over here with, with, with mom and dad when I was 10 years old. So I would have been in uh, fourth class there in primary school. I've grown up in uh, Budapest up to and I was 10 years old and then I suppose when my real teens started hit, I was in kind of Clare Galway slash Galway. And this is where I went to secondary school. And now I'm 20 years old, turning 21 soon. Any um, any favourite memories or standout memories of your childhood in Budapest and or Galway? Yeah, I suppose um, I, I, I particularly loved uh, playing uh, water polo in, in Budapest. So I always remember the moments when you all the lads line up. And you're about to hit the pool and it's cold water, but the adrenaline hits and you're just, you just jump in. You don't care. You're ready to hit the ball. Yeah. Nice. Uh, I've been to Budapest three times for any listeners who've not been to Budapest. Would there be one place you recommend they should definitely go and visit if they were to be there for an afternoon? Yeah. The bats are, are an unbelievable experience. The natural bats there in Buda. Unbelievable. Yeah. Sticking with your childhood days, and early influences before we move on can you pinpoint any one or maybe more than one person who you felt like had a big impact on you or influence on you while you were growing up so I suppose my I definitely think my, my parents put a lot of influence on me they were always very hard working my mom and dad always had a nine to five job so they would have been always five days a week gone so didn't really get to see much of them dad moved from Budapest to, to, to Galway five years before we moved over even then it was very much um, it was very much an experience of looking looking at how much they work how much they work every day so my 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 work ethic definitely came from my parents but a lot of people that inspire me would have been I would have been really into aviation so I would have followed a couple of influencers like the mentor pilot so I would have always looked up to, to him how he got to where he is today and how much he had to work to save up for to actually train as a pilot and a lot of people from secondary school actually inspired me as well. Like I, I definitely think I, I gained a lot of qualities from my principal, Alan Mongi from uh, Clergawe College. One of my teachers, Gareth Callan, he would have been my math teacher in second year. And he would have introduced me to the world of IT and would have mentored me a good bit as well. And I suppose today, like one of our current mentors is Gareth Flower. So I would be taking on Gareth yourself. Yeah. So I'd be taking on a couple of hours each month with him and he would continuously mentor us and just pass on as, as much as possible. That's amazing. You've got a great mentor in Gareth there for sure. Shout out to your teachers from secondary school. 
you've touched on aviation and I know that you wanted at one stage to become a pilot. Uh, that's not cheap. You're looking at six figures to yeah. become a pilot. Where did the idea or the, where did the seeds start to sow that you might potentially one day become a pilot? So the idea, all, I think, all came from when I was about seven or eight when dad, the Microsoft Fly Simulator came out and dad brought it home for me with the whole cockpit and I got to sit in and play around in the monitor. And from then on, I was like, oh my God, I'd love to actually go look at a plane. When we were we went on holidays or whatever, I got to go in the cockpit. You were allowed to go in the cockpit back in 2010, 11 kind of thing. So mm. I was uh, I was able to just look in, speak to the pilots, and I was so blown away. I love the uniform. I love I love pressing buttons and all that kind of thing. So and that's where I fell in love with it. And in secondary school, from my leaving cert, I decided to take a year out to start working. So I had two jobs to try save up for the pilot school. But I suppose my whole life changed um, after that year out because we decided to start a business. Let's get into that. But before we do get into it, to half ease ourselves into it, what's what what do you like to do when you're not working outside of business? You know what I, I love, and this is definitely connecting to business. But I actually love uh, meeting people and hearing their stories. Like I think the networking side of the business world really hit me, and I, I really love going out, listening to people's stories. They're uh, listening to even failures and how they're trying to flip it. Or what everyone's different stages, and I think just learning from learning from people's past experiences really inspires me, and it really helps me a try not to make that mistake again, or b try to speed up my way to success. I love it. Let's jump into all good things around improving your website. When setting up a website, what are some of the things that you think people often overlook? So I think I think the biggest thing people overlook is the purpose of the website. So I think when you're going out there looking to a, a contract an agency or an individual or be build it yourself, I think you really have to just understand that it's going to be a lot of time and effort invested on your end, and um, it's and it's obviously favorable for us because we are an agency. But I do think a lot of people think they can take on the task of building a website, and they don't realize how much time and effort actually goes into it. So mm. I think if you are valuing your time, you should contract an agency to actually build your website and you should definitely have a purpose for it, as I mentioned there at the start, because a lot of people, what, I, what we see continuously, it's a continuous pattern, is people get a website built. When, let's say I go into the website, I'm like, okay, so what information would you like to, would you like to put across there to, to your audience, your potential customers, your current customers? And when people can't answer that question, I think that's the first building block that, that they have to sit down at a board meeting and discuss is when people go onto a website, what do we want to come off as? Who do we want to target? Get that message across nice and clear. Yeah, I like it. And especially the valuable, valuing your time part is crucial if you're the, I don't know who, what title a part of a, uh, let's say you're a CEO and you're, you're looking to set up a website. If the website's going to take, I don't know, 20, 40 hours to set up, it's, how much is your time worth per hour? And would it be more beneficial to you spend your time elsewhere, somewhere that you're good at and outsource that to make sure that your website is as good as you are in other areas. So I, I, I do recognize that the, the value of time, because that's something you can't get back. Pretend someone already has a website set up. Uh, why might they, or why, yeah, why might they consider redesigning it? 
So I, I really think uh, re-looking at your website is really important. A, if you're not getting the right results that, that you've invested in, I think return on investment is very important for any business executive or any, any sort of business person is to get the return on investment. And if you're not getting those results that you've signed up, for example, more inquiries, phone calls, um, or purchases of product, then you should start considering, okay, where is the mistake? Yeah. I, I agree. And I know you want to get into AdWords, SEO, all those things. And I do too. A couple of tactical questions that you might be able to help me answer. I, I don't know. First one would be around social proof. I think it's a great way to gain trust, reviews, case studies, testimonials. Should someone put time into those things to have them on the website at all? Like, do, do they matter? 100%. And, and I definitely think each business should recognize and identify their sweet spot customer, who their tar- target audience. But once they've identified who it is, the website has to reflect that individual's needs and wants, what would attract them. For example, if, you're, if your target audience, uh, you're selling a product, a hair product, and your target audience is anyone between um, 15 and 25, for example, kind of the younger audience. You'd be definitely looking to make the website trendy, so that social media kind of graphic design, nice colors. The fonts have to be modern. You have to look at a lot of these aspects when you're actually building the website. So fonts and colors do matter? Do matter. And social proof, 100%. Because even I know myself, as I said to you, I'm 20 at the moment. But when I go shopping online, I look at reviews of a website if I haven't heard about it before. And I look look for brands that they've either worked with or partnered with because it really creates that trust because a lot of people are reselling a certain service. For example, web designers and developers are reselling a product called, for example, WordPress or a language called Drupal. All these different things you're reselling it. So the company that you're selling from, should you should be a trusted partner with them. So if you can display that badge, for example, being an Elementor Pro, which is part of a web designer's mm. toolkit at the moment, then you can really um, impress the customer or the potential customer that is going onto your website. Yeah, and for anyone in enterprise listening to this, a couple of examples to show that social proof matters. And to agree with Eric here is G2 is one of the top 10 most visited B2B uh, websites in the world, and that's a, a review site. Uh, so customers or buyers do look at company reviews. If you've ever, ever been on the site, Fiverr.com, if you're looking to purchase a graphic, for example, you'll probably look at someone's ratings before you inquire about their offering 100%, service. 100%. And just to match it with, with another example, Irene, is when I go look, go look at Booking.com, a very popular website there, mm. you, you look at the reviews of the hotel you stay at, you look at the last 10 guests, that, that have left a review and that social proof will create that trust for you. either you book that hotel or you won't book that hotel and the reason is going to be pretty strong either you found that the the it, it meets your requirements or the reviews were really good yeah absolutely something else i hear people talk about a lot is i think it's called website loading speed is it important and if so how might I go about improving it? I'm assuming just inquiring with Graft and Digital is a great place to start. Exactly, exactly. So website speed is really important, okay? Because Google, like all these other monstrous algorithms, 
pick up and constantly monitor everything that you do or that's on the internet, okay? So website performance is something that, uh, that takes time to, to improve and to maintain. I think it's very important. Hence, you, uh, hence you should build a relationship with a contractor or an agency mm. because a lot of work is relationship-based. And um, the, the, the main reason it's really important is because the faster a website is, Google can track it. That, uh, so Google can track it as well mm-hmm. as your customers can experience it. There's, web, there's free websites out there where you can check your website performance. All you type into Google is website speed checker, website SEO checker. And these websites will give you a pretty similar result and they will rate it between zero to 100 your optimum website score should be above 80. That is in the green bracket. And compressing images, uh, for example, might help you uh, speed up website or the way you lay out the, the actual video content, for example. If you have it on the homepage, it's going to take more time for that user to actually load it. Mm. So you have to be very tactical where you place content and how you place the content. Smart. Didn't, I never thought of that. Let's get into it. SEO, in a nutshell, what is it for those like me who have no clue other than what it stands for? So SEO, as you mentioned there, stands for search engine optimization, which is what a lot of people know. What a lot of people don't know, it's what makes Google work and display your business website, your business Facebook, anything to with your business, okay? So the ways you can look after SEO is uh, continuously put out blogs, okay? Putting out content on a search or a certain website and redirecting it to the likes of Facebook and Instagram will create more search, more organic search traffic. So just watch out for that word organic. Okay. Organic means unpaid traffic. So people coming onto your website, landing onto your website for free. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then we have paid traffic also, you know, known as PPC pay per click. Mm-hmm. So where this is where a business might invest into Google AdWords or social media ads on Facebook, Instagram, wherever. And this will generate traffic. This will put you in front of the right audience that you configure. And it will allow more traffic to go to your website. Your website will now become more recognized by Google. Because remember, as I mentioned, Google's continuously looking at your website traffic looking at uh, the the gender of the people that are going on at the age demographic everything location everything it will also show you a heat map actually which is pretty scary but it'll show you where people hover and where people scroll through Mm -hmm. your website or where people stop and exit so it has so much information about you so some of the things i can do to basically improve how i rank when people search for me organically if people were to search for uh web development specialists in galway you'd hope that Grafton Digital, or even in Ireland, Grafton Digital would rank near the top. Ways that you can improve that are writing blogs, linking it to your other social accounts, are two ways for people to start with improving it. And then, and I'm sure there's multiple other ways, hosting videos, podcasts on it as well, potentially uh, uh, co-writing a blog with someone else on their website pointing to yours exactly redirecting continuous relinking redirecting it's how it's how traffic gets generated people clicking from one website to another that's still traffic that's your media source so if you can get your and i do want to get into paid in a second if you can get your website mentioned and linked on someone else's site it's basically telling the search engines for example here google that 
this site will give it graphs and digital is a good site and it's going to improve your ranking. Exactly, exactly. So it's going to continuously improve your ranking. And gotcha. obviously you, you should, when you go to, uh, when you look at contracts in the website, you should definitely look at, look at continuously tracking the agency's work by using these free website uh, testers, test, testing tools like seoability.com and all, all these other platforms because it'll help you to see how much your developers are doing and what way they're actually doing it. So how is Google looking at your website? Is it okay? Is it above 80? Because it should be above 80 and it's possible to get it to 100 as well. Yeah, don't give away all your secrets because you do want people to come to you at some stage. Exactly, exactly. Before we move on from this, we've got organic, which is writing blogs, podcasts, linking to your social channels and then potentially being featured on other people's websites. So it's a link back to yours. Then there's paid which is where we take Google AdWords, you're essentially running advertisements with keywords or pushing up videos on YouTube to push people towards your website so that it ranks higher. So if you're not happy with the ranking of your website, you could one of the ways you could potentially fix that, and this is more of a question, is to use paid media as for example, Google AdWords to increase the ranking of your website for specific searches if you're unhappy. So if there's events that are coming up, let's say for whatever reason, the Galway races are coming up and you own a business that you want to you know, get the attention of that audience, whether it's a hotel for people to stay there during the Galway races, for that specific period of time, you could try and rank really high for accommodation at Galway races so that you rank above everyone else. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah, 100%. Now, the only thing I would add to it, it's not, not a guarantee of actual conversions. So mm-hmm. I, 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 I actually personally believe that nobody can guarantee conversions, but you can guarantee eyeballs. So yeah, that's the thing that I was going to get at is the, the, what, that part of the job is getting the attention for the person to take action and the action in that instance is to go to the page that you're pointing them towards after that the google adwords have done their job it's up to exactly you to then convert them exactly exactly now you can actually track someone's to the very last step such as pressing the phone number and actually tracking them have they actually called your phone so you can actually track exactly how many people contacted you, how many people called you, how many people searched for your business after they've been on your website. For example, that if I, go for, let's run with the Galway Races thing, I go onto the hotel, I search double deluxe room for uh, a family of four, for four nights, and I get to the final thing and I'm putting in my guarantee those and before I hit pay, I leave. What you're telling me is if they've organized their, or if they've got their shit together, they can see that I've got the whole way up until I hit pay. And what they can do is they, and if that's happened multiple times, they could potentially go, that can't be a one-off. There must be a problem here that's stopping people from hitting that pay button. And that's the specific area. Exactly. Exactly. So if you're seeing everybody filling out their contact details, but for some reason, no one, there's no purchases, there's no volume of cash going to your website. There's a problem with the checkout button. Yeah, so it helps people narrow down where they should focus. It's essentially just, uh, I believe, in sales, it's bringing people rather than from A to B, you're bringing them from A to B, but in micro steps, essentially the same way. You're bringing them on a buyer's journey through micro steps. Exactly. Gotcha. I like this. Stock photos, 
on an article I read, it said stock photos can reduce trust and add friction to the process of converting. They say to look at photos with, you know, realistic scenes in well-lit environments. What are your thoughts? So 100%, I generally think having custom photos of your business or services is critical because it really creates that trust because they can see it in action. It's, we're going back to that social proof aspect of things. If you have a restaurant and you're putting out pictures where there's nobody sitting outside that restaurant, you're like, okay, who actually dines at this restaurant? So mm-hmm. it's very important to have people with the product, with the service at the location. That creates the trust. And also... To give you a Tinder analogy, I've been off the market for years, but uh, you don't want to catfish people. You don't want to show photographs and then people turn up to the location and they see the opposite photographs. Exactly. And like when people push out a product and then they say product images may not uh, reflect the, the product in real life. When you see that, for example, it's like, why won't you go and yeah. do the effort of actually having that product with a real life environment comparison? rather than actually having uh, a photo with the text saying it's not actually what it looks like in real life. Yeah. A few more things I want to touch on you here. What we have here for this episode is white space. According to Crazy Egg, white space around text and titles increases user attention by 20%. Now, I would now, having read that, agree with them. Because if I am on my phone on Google and there's a multiple articles that I want to click and look at, I will stay away from websites like any of the red top websites, the Irish Mirror, because I know once I go onto those websites, 80% of the screen is going to be filled up with ads and there is no white space. I actually mm. think it looks more aesthetically pleasing when you've got white space. I suppose over to you in terms of if should people leverage white space or should people fill that with advertisements because that's where some eyeballs potentially are. So like, for example, the Daily Mirror there. So obviously they generate a lot of revenue from people clicking on to their website and potentially clicking that advert. Let's say that, let's say, for example, Grafton Digital would place, right? So yeah. they're filling that. So that's, they're getting that ad revenue because they're providing a conversion for Google. Now, I truly believe that to be minimalistic and have plenty of white space for the user to actually enjoy the experience. And I definitely think it's, it's a challenge for anybody to actually create that healthy balance between for example, displaying these revenue generation sources for your business and also have your have your users catered for, give them the attention that they mm. require. Now, what the funny thing here, Irene, is as, as well, is a lot of businesses make you pay to remove ads. So they actually take a set fee, whether it be a tenner annually, and you're like, okay, that's that works out as a couple of cents a month. It might be it might be worth it for me to invest. But it's very much, I, I think a lot of businesses don't respect their users and they they just yeah. put ad on top of ad on top of ad. And, and I actually think, as you said there, and I would do that personally as well, my behavior would be to swipe swipe away, go away from the website, try to find, for example, another news source because yeah. it would help me actually find the information I want, um, not being bombarded with advertisements and forcing me to purchase just to read that one article, for example. Yeah, yeah, nothing infuriates me more when I'm trying to just sit there and read some news. Exactly. Um, pricing, uh, it's a big it's a big debate uh, in the space I'm in 
I'll give you a quick example. There's a product I came across the other day called WordTune. If you've ever heard of Grammarly, which will just correct your grammar if you've misspelt it, WordTune is a layer above that, which is you can write a sentence or a paragraph and you gram- it's the, there's a free, the freemium version of it. What it will let you do is it will let you highlight that paragraph or sentence and decide whether you want to change it to a casual tone, a more informal tone, a more business tone, and it will change specific words in the sentence so that you have the option to sound different depending on who you're trying to talk to or get the attention of. Now, on their website, they display pricing straight up front. However, I've been on some websites where they will have the button request pricing on their website. So my question to you is, should you show pricing or have it as request pricing? I think it's a great tactic to invite people to actually contact your representatives to actually engage because you're already, you're engaging with the brand. So it just shows that you're not going to sign off from your service. For example, Grammarly after your 30 day free trial, mm. let's say you're my sales rep, Reen, and I start talking to you and I'm like, I'm going to use this for this. I'd love to introduce into my organization. My team writes a lot of emails. So we have the volume here. Can we have a chat? So I think you creating that relationship with me, for example, personally, I would be more likely to continue with your product or service over a longer period. If it's a subscription-based business, obviously, if I actually get to talk to you, if because I feel like I'm getting a custom solution for my problem. Mm. And I think that's that has to be understood and recognized. Personalization, and then, yeah. On the other hand, is I think some so in some instances having your price in there is beneficial because you're then creating that trust that you're not pricing customers individually. So for example, um, for example, if, if you're going for, if you're going for an enterprise solution, that's why a lot of businesses have pricing listed for small businesses, medium businesses, large businesses, and then they have enterprise solutions because they mm-hmm. expect the likes of Microsoft going onto this service they have more money to pay. Hence, they're not going to allow you to join at the same rate as you are. However, mm-hmm. it will generate them more revenue because there's more people joining because it's always per user base usually. And it, it will actually just, it will just help that business. And it, I, that's why it's, it's just, you have to be very tactical with, with whether you're displaying pricing or not. I think it has to be just a marketing strategy. Chatbots. I've seen the likes of Drift, and Intercom grow rapidly over the last couple of years. Intercom is an Irish company that reached unicorn status a couple of years ago. Why might someone use a chatbot? So I think chatbots are actually really interesting because uh, from our customers end, a lot of people were against it. What we're trying to say is chatbots allow you, allow the user to engage with your business on kind of a on a FAQ, frequently asked questions, questions and answers way. So for example, I have a Barber website and you have a chatbot coming up here. Can I help you with anything? If you type in there, do you do kids cuts? As simple as people would type it in, the chatbot can actually show you, yes, we do do kids cuts at this price at this location. I actually think it would save business owners times. It will save them a lot of time if they would introduce these kind of frequently asked questions in an interactive manner. Yeah. Also, we've just discussed chatbots. I think it's a great solution for that. It seems to be that like a larger percentage of our customers are based in Ireland. 
And they were actually more against introducing a chatbot because they felt like it's annoying. It keeps popping up into someone's face. It's very salesy. They, they don't have control over what the chatbot replies. There's a lot of little things like that. Again, Ireland has a different attitude towards digital anyways. I thought one of the great ways you could leverage a chatbot is, let's say you have an office in Dublin and an office in New York. There's inevitably a five or six hour window where there's dead time. What I mean by dead time is like the Dublin team are gone to bed, the uh, asleep and the American team were just knocked off work. There's a couple of hours there where you can leverage the chatbot. You essentially, while you trying to scale the company and maybe you only even have one location and you can't reach customers in another location because you're out of office and you're trying to scale in that early stage it basically makes your office 24 7 yeah it creates that you're racing around the clock a lot of businesses um a lot of businesses have different locations around the world and they are investing heavily into customer support staff it's not even getting rid of that customer support aspect what you're doing what you're actually doing is just delivering simple bits of information creating a response an immediate response Hence the likes of Outlook and Gmail and all, most email um, solution, solutions providing companies have introduced automatic replies. When someone emails, they will get a response. I think it's more effort going from a website to an email to actually sending an email than it is going onto a website to sending a chatbot request. You're taking out that step. You're giving yeah. the, the user more time to actually engage. You also gave me another great idea, or it's done probably thousands of times anyway. It's when somebody is on your website and you're a international company, let's say that you're an international company and a, and a frustrated or angry customer comes onto your website, you can basically use a chatbot to point them towards the right person to chat to as fast as possible. You can say, what's your problem? Where did you buy this? okay, this is the right person to contact. Do you want to call with them right now so you can go live? Because people just love chatting to people live rather than chatting exactly. to people. So you could use a combination of both. Moving on, we've talked about pricing. What we haven't talked about is it said that Google penalize against websites that are not optimized for mobile devices. And the line I have reading here is making the need for responsiveness even more crucial. This is probably the single most valuable way in which you can improve your website's usability. That quote came from 2019, the end of 2019 to almost a year and a half ago. I'm sure now mobile devices are like a must have similar to years ago where hotels used to uh, say you can pay four euro for each day you stay to use the internet. If someone tried to charge you to use the internet in a hotel nowadays, you just laugh in their face. You laugh at them. Yeah. Exactly. Mobile devices. Well, if you've not got a mobile device for your website, have you got your shit together? Exactly. hundred percent. So even when we're designing uh, websites for our customers, we always create a mobile responsive design and also create a mock-up of the mobile. Um, I, I'm just, the average stat we got off are all our websites. So we can monitor like what platforms being used. Over 94% of websites are approaching the mobile first. That's okay, a huge that's percentage. Phenomenal. That's a big stat. Exactly. So, so your mobile view has to be as good, has to be as interactive, engaging, clean, clear, to the point as your actual desktop view. Mm. And as like web apps in, in 2021, uh, for example, Strava, that's on your actual app store. It's also on 
your you can look at all your performances on on the actual web when you log in on Google. Web apps have become more popular because they have a natural app feel and look when you go onto it. So it's great for SaaS companies, you know, and other enterprise companies as well is to choose a web app, get a web app delivered because the customers can engage with that website to a very app level. If you get me, because apps are very custom and a lot of websites are very, you have your text, you have your buttons where people can touch and use and interact with. We've discussed a lot in this episode from pricing to AB. Actually, one thing I didn't actually discuss was AB testing. Is AB testing something that uh, you would encourage people to do? It's absolutely crucial in order to succeed on Google. We actually have a specific offering where we just offer A-B testing for a client. And when we develop a website, or website, we always get one of our senior developers who weren't actually involved in the project to A-B test the website. This is very important because when you're, from a form developer's point of view, and you're looking at something the same day for, for 40 hours, five days a week, you get lost in it. You don't discover a lot of features. What an A-B tester will do is go in and try to break it, and make, and but also make sure that there's a snag list created after they've been on the website. And you actually do A-B testing a couple of times after certain things were resolved because you'll always find new little things to actually look at and to spend time on to fix or improve. Okay, okay. What's a snag list for those who don't know? A, a snag list is, I, I suppose, just a fancy word of, a list of items or tasks to pay attention to. So they're usually done at the final stages of a project is, is when we write down, okay, this needs to be, this needs to be looked at, paid attention to, because we didn't pay attention to it to, throughout the development. Okay. It's an end, end of project checklist. As I was saying, cover things just as we touched on there, AB testing. Why might someone consider redesigning their website? What people often overlook uh, website loading speed, social proof, uh, uncovered what SEO is in a nutshell, chatbots, white space, building trust with stock photos or otherwise the opposite of that. In fact, we've also discussed pricing and the fact that colors and fonts matter. Uh, mobile devices. One thing we haven't covered that I had in my notes was if a visitor goes to your website and can't find what they're looking for. They have no reason to stay on your site. How can someone who owns a website improve navigation? I looked at your website and it was simple and easy to navigate. Is that the answer? I suppose it is, but a lot of businesses, especially in Ireland, like to put text, have a lot of text, lot of videos a lot of images everything into the one page try to shove everything into the one spot i think it's very much very much the the average irish mindset is to display as many things as possible the way we've approached it, as you said is to create a simple navigation because if you're going to a marketing agency's website you are going to assume that they're going to do marketing plans content creation your videos your photos they're going to they're going to be the right people you're talking to Therefore, putting all the text, all the images, all the effort into somebody trying to find information they're looking for, it's, it's not going to work well. Yeah. But I, I suppose, again, going back to the first point, purpose of your website is very important. Our purpose is, is for somebody to go onto our website, have a look at who we are, what we do, who we worked with, and get in contact with us to start talking. Because that's where we come in 
and, and be able to offer the solution for your problem, whether that be building a website, whether that be doing Google ads, whatever it might be. So it's always what we want to prompt people to do is to communicate. And that's going to be my final question. But to, before I ask that, you've mentioned Irish businesses, some of the Irish businesses that you've potentially not worked with, but inquired with you or may have been this way before they started working with you was they seem to be, what I'm picking up on is very feature benefit focused and trying to throw as many stones onto the wall so that some stick. Whereas what you should be doing is thinking about like, why anyone would give a shit and selling on emotions and having that statement of like, why is someone here? What can they get from here rather than just trying to sell on features and benefits and throwing up a whole heap of stuff? Because it, it's that great thing of if you, <laughs> I was going to give the example of, of the restaurant menu where like you, you go to a restaurant and you just have a hundred different things. It's impossible to choose from. Whereas exactly. when you reduce that and make it simple to navigate the menu, you're like, oh, I want this. Second episode on e-commerce hosting variety of different topics may make sense in the future. I'm down for that. But for now, graph and digital, what are, what do you do and why might someone consider coming to you? And then we'll leave it there. I suppose if you're looking to get online and build an e-commerce presence or just a web presence, uh, we'd be the perfect partner for you. We are very much relationship based and we also uh, emphasize a uh, transparent communication with everybody because what we found a lot in the industry, as people expand, they don't reinvest into their customer, their customer mm-hmm. uh, success and also their support. So what we've done as, as we're a fast scaling company, we've continuously put people in the right position and offer co- customer support to all our clients across the globe. Amazing. Eric, I, I've, I've enjoyed this episode and I hope we chat again. But regardless, I wish you nothing but the best going forward. Thank you very much, Reen. I'm looking forward to be on the next episode as well. Beautiful morning, get a sun in my morning bed.